You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Hillary Corna has over 10 years of experience working in senior executive positions for companies like Toyota Motor Asia Pacific and speaking on stages across the world. Hillary's been featured in the New York Times, Fortune, Forbes Woman, The Wall Street Journal, NBC, and dozens of other publications. As a best-selling author of One White Face, her words have influenced leaders at every level to embrace their own humanity and in turn become more conscious, empathetic, and empowering with those they lead. Hillary's weekly thought-provoking emails are a must-read. In today's episode, Ron and Hillary discuss how do we humanize organizational culture? How do we develop a culture of love and caring? And how do we use automations for the good of the company versus dehumanizing the workplace? Welcome to another episode of Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and I'm very excited and honored to have Hillary Corner with us today out of Austin, right? Austin, Texas. Yeah. How are you doing, Hillary? Living the dream, man. Living the dream. Yeah. How's, uh, how's things in your world? Things good right now? Chaotic? As you know from from our pre-conversation, things are chaotic for me. I'm having a rough, I'm having a rough start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this year, I think we're all in a time of reflection and introspection and what do we have to learn from all this? And if you look back, I think we've all been in hyper growth mode and hyper learning mode. And, you know, those that continue to learn and grow are going to be better off for it. And those that don't are going to be left behind. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a, a year of struggle with no doubt of a year of pivot, a year of learning, a year of really hard moments and conversations, but we're better off for it. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. I, I would agree. And look, when we had our kind of pre-podcast conversation, there were some awesome topics that we discussed, and so I'm excited to kind of dive deep into some of these uh, in some of these lanes because we haven't discussed them before. So, um, mm. but just just want to thank you for your time today. Before we get kicked off, I'm excited to to dig in. Brad, so, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's jump in. So, so look, um, one of these topics you had mentioned was how companies are over-automating today, which has caused a disconnect with people. Tell me more about that. Let's dive into that topic first. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is operations at Toyota. I ran all Kaizen operations development initiatives for the South Pacific region out of Singapore for three years. What that means in very you know, layman terms is I would take the concept of Toyota production system and implement them into the dealerships, which are all entrepreneurs, typically family-owned businesses. And the concept is as simple as how do we improve people's lives and as a result, improve the outcomes of our businesses. And that could be for the employee or the customer. And what's happened over the last 10 years with the rise of such buzzwords as Lean, Six Sigma, um, even you could go as far as rapid growth, 10X, scaling, all these things that we want out of our business, we've lost touch with the very purpose of these concepts around digital innovation and continuous improvement. And so what I've seen time and time again throughout mid-market industries is that companies are innovating digitally and now it's expedited by COVID, but they're losing touch with the very people they serve. So they're automating what's good for them and what's good for the business, but very often at the very detriment of the people they serve. So you right. can create automations that actually create barriers between you and the customer and make it yeah, harder give, for the customer to connect. Give an example of that. What's, what exa- what's an example? Yeah, so 
So payment terms. I cannot tell you how many times I try to do business with someone and because of their automations, I either A, can't get in touch with someone very quickly or B, they make it very difficult to actually pay them. What does that mean? If you're looking at contracts, you're looking at agreements, you're looking at negotiations, they automate their sales process so much that you have to follow their standardized protocol for how to do business with them. And all you're saying is, dude, I'm really ready and able to give you money. Please let me pay you. And, and so simplifying your sales process, making it about the person going through the process instead of what's good for the company is where companies are really going to rise. And how, how do we get, you know, so, so if we look at company culture, how do we get people involved with that? How do we, you know, encourage uh, our, our, our stakeholders, our employees to, to, to fight against that and, and make sure we counterbalance it? That's the daunting, daunting question, right? Um, one of the things I do with a lot of my clients is the stupid rule activity, which is what are your stupid rules in your company that don't make sense and how do you kill them? And so it's an easy thing. Typically, I advise that they do it once a quarter as an activity of reflecting within your quarterly you know, planning sessions. Um, and you ask your people. So a fun piece of trivia, Toyota every year gets a million ideas from their employees worldwide. How, how do they get them? Tell me about that. Is it, is it Channels, email, text? It's all about organization structure. So often the people have ideas for what should be improved, but it's just simply either no one is asking or they don't have a process to actually implement those ideas. They don't have a system or a channel of communications to take that idea, vet it, and decide whether to actually run with it. But don't some companies overcomplicate that alone? So, so the process. So all of a sudden, I want to become this innovative, nimble company. I say, hey, we want to hear from everybody. Please send us your ideas. But fill out this form. Tell us how, you know, go through this big process. The committee will then vet it. And yep. in six months, we'll have a discussion. And I've kind of just killed the mojo of the organization. How do you balance process with nimbleness? It's a great question. And it's an art. I say be human by design. Um, there's a great little video that Gary Vee did a couple of months back that I integrated in my keynote. And it's him talking about, um, he was posed the question of what his social strategy is. And he, he, go, he picks up his phone and he goes, this is my social strategy. I read the comments, I engage. And the guys, and the, the, the I'm sorry, the human, the, the woman actually that was asking the question was like, yeah, but that's not scalable. How do you actually strategize on your, your social? And he was like, it's not scalable. That's the whole point. It's human. These are real humans behind the screen. So what I often say to my clients is you need a, a combination of a, both a quantitative method and a qualitative method. You need something that is actually a system, a process that's there for those that want to follow that method. Then you also need a process that is unaided that is listening, that is actively engaging, and you need to balance those two. It's like the, the mix between yin and yang. You need so to actively play, be searching for it and actively be listening for it. So, so visually, what does that look like? Is that where I'm on a website and it says, you can, you know, hi, Mr. Love it, you can do this choice, choose A, B, C, whatever it is, or you can, you can um, press, you know, call us at this number and talk to a live human being. And so is Amen. that what you mean when you're giving the balance right? Okay. Amen. A great example of this is a company um, 
that I worked with recently last year, they took all of their training and they said, we're going to make this more efficient. We're going to put it online so it doesn't need humans. And they lost some of not only their A player talent, but some of their legacy clients. They didn't know what happened. And when we went deeper, we found out that training is very human. There is an element of needing support and handholding and motivation and encouragement. So something that was a decision that was made for the betterment of the company and the efficiency in the bottom line of the company, which is a valid point and decision, was actually harming the very people they serve. And so when you look at your decisions every day, it's not, is this better for the company or is it not? How can this improve our bottom line? Is what's the journey our customers are going through? And at this stage of their journey, is this how they want to interact? And to your point, this is a big trait that we see of human era companies, which is they actually make it very easy to talk to a human. I mean, listen, Ron, you've been in that position as a consumer and or B2B client where it's so hard to get a hold of someone. Yeah. And you know they're doing it for their benefit, not yours. But if you think from your perspective as a consumer, how much happier I would be with this, custom, with this company if they just picked up the phone. So it's really important. It's not that there's one way that's right or wrong. It's really important to think what do your customers right. want and deliver that. But let's go back to this story about Gary V. Let's push, I wanna push back at his narrative which says, yes, uh, you know, it's not scalable, but, but if the customer, if your product is getting out there so quickly and, and so your business is 10X and you need to support the customer, then you, know, you do have to either balance it with technology and adding individuals, right? Yeah, so absolutely. Gary Vee is in a position where he's in a chairman role, right? He's not operating day-to-day business. However, his role that he plays is paying attention to what's about to happen, to predicting, to looking at patterns and observing society. And so when he says, I have my ear to the streets on the human level, he's saying that he is getting as real and as close as possible to what real people are saying. So right now in our state of business, we are in a severe crisis of trust. There's some data that came out in 2015 that showed trust across big institutions is plummeting by an average of 20%. What does that mean? Not only big business, it's also looking at medicine, it's looking at education, it's looking at government and other big institutions. People don't know what to believe anymore. So the more you can be real, in your business, in your operations, in your processes, in your CX, your brand, your EX, and your culture, the more you will connect to your customers because what is real is what's believable. And that's what Gary Vee is paying attention to. So, so let's go back to one of those points. So, 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 you know, for those listeners that have two, three, four, five hundred 500 staff, a thousand, 10,000, how do you encourage and build a culture where in this quick, you know, digital age that, that, the employees can then be relatable to the customer and bring back in compassion and connection. How do we do that? Well, how do you think we do it, Ron? Well, um, you know, I was just on a podcast that was talking about, uh, you know, my, in my book, Outrageous Empowerment, we talk about a decision-making process. And, you know, because I, I think that, you know, one at a high level, um, you know, in my last business, we obviously hired for empathy. And if someone didn't match our criteria for empathy, then, then we felt that they couldn't connect with our customers. 
But two is, you know, the subtitle was give people their brains back. And we talk about this methodology of autonomy and giving a framework. And so we tell everybody, look, if you're going to do something, ask three simple questions. Is it the right thing for the customer? Yes or no. Is it the right thing for our, our purpose? And, you know, back then it was revolution or sorry, uh, change the security industry. And three, are you willing to be accountable? And that, that allowed some safety. It allowed some autonomy and some guidelines and, and a framework to make decisions and move. What else are you seeing? Are you seeing other people have a different strategy or what are your thoughts on that? And what else are you seeing? Yeah, it's a beautiful, I applaud you for that. That's great because it starts with the leadership setting the expectations. You know, so often we see companies say, we don't want workaholics. We want people to have a healthy, you know, work-life balance, but then they're emailing in the evening. So their actions are actually, you know, counterintuitive to what they're saying. And so I really appreciate your effort there. Um, so one is making the ask. At Toyota, we would always say, if we're in a room and we don't know the answer and we're trying to rack our brains because we're, you know, at a high level in headquarters trying to solve big problems and we can't get to an answer, we go straight to what we call Gemba. And Gemba uh, in Japanese means the front line. And the idea of that is that the people who understand your customer best is the front line, the people that actually talk to the customer. And that's what Gary Vee is attempting to do. And so what does that mean? It requires a great deal of humility and humbleness on the part of leaders to say, I don't know. Let me ask the people that actually know. So if you have a call center of 200 staff and you're trying to rack your brain and solve big problems using big data, big data can tell us whatever stories we want. So we have to be very cautious of that. If you're trying to solve big problems with big data, actually go to the front line, talk to the people that talk to the customers and ask them, what are our customers saying? What are our customers asking for that we're not delivering on? How can we, how can we provide more wow moments for our customers? And those people will tell you an answer because you know, they think, listen to the customer every day. Yeah, I think of a, a couple of things back to our business today. One of my companies is in uh, affordable living real estate. So we've got 600 plus units across Canada and we have the same thing, decision-making process. And I think about what you're talking about in the process of getting people involved in those types of conversation also is one of the first steps in uh, creating a stronger culture where someone feels quite important and connected to the bigger business, you know, yes. to, to, to the bigger purpose or mission, whatever that is. And it's not just, I'm not just at a call center answering the phones now. Now you're asking me to help you solve a business challenge. And we had a, a speaker on it not too long ago. And we talked about this in, in the new book, Scaling Culture, which was one question. It was Kevin Cranshaw that wrote Never Boss. And he said, the question he likes to ask is, you know, look, Hillary, what do you see that's slipping through the cracks? And I love mm. that question, right? What do you see that's slipping through the cracks? Because mm. then you're really, you're, you're, you've got a narrow focus on a question. And, you know, I think I used to make this mistake by talking to stakeholders and say, what can we be doing better for the customer? I felt like now knowing what I know today, that's too broad. And mm. I might not have the relationship for you to be confident, vulnerable enough to answer that because you might feel you're going to offend me. And so, now how I position that is I will say, hey, Hillary, I need help with this challenge and I'd love your counsel in that. Let me, you know, I really could use your help. Let me position a, an issue that I see and what are you seeing? Is that, am I accurate or not? And how, can you help me with that? And that, that's been helpful. What are your thoughts on 
on how do you approach the front lines? What's a conversation look like? Well, you said something really important in that, and I really want to hone in on that, which is they have to have trust in the relationship. And this is something where, you know, as Westerners, as Americans, we really struggle because the way we operate our businesses are in silos where we treat people like a cog in the wheel. I mean, we run our businesses with machine-like efficiency on purpose, and we are able to operate in a way that's unheard of 50 years ago. It's amazing, right? However, people feel robotic. And if you look at your business's silos, rather than the holistic perspective of what the humans that are going through your businesses are experiencing, both employees and customers, you really risk not having that relationship. Because you say, oh, that, you know, yeah, that, you know, um, sales rep is just a sales rep. He just needs to perform in his job or he needs to get out. Uh, you know, that CS manager is just a CS manager. They just need to perform in their job or get out. Uh, so I want to push a little bit there because I think a lot of business owners want their people to be empowered. They want them to take ownership, but they don't give the ownership permission to them. They treat them like a cog in the wheel. And so if you want your people to take ownership, you have to connect them to what the business strategies are, the bigger purpose of the business, as you mentioned. And what does that mean? It's really as simple as saying our purpose is, let's say you're in restaurant tech. Our purpose is to create memorable moments for families and friends. Okay, then always use that language and say, listen, as we make memorable moments for friends and family at restaurants, Here's how you play a role in that. Here's why what you do is so important. So it really comes into everyday language and relationship. And this is unfortunately stuff that you can't, you can't standardize, you can't automate this to make someone feel like not a cog in the wheel. Then you can ask for their ideas once that trust exists. Right. Otherwise right, yeah. they won't tell you. And, and so Let's go back to Toyota. I'm always really curious about that brand. And I've, I've looked at that, you know, the, the big book, I forget the heading of it, but it's, yeah. the, you're right. I There's a lot of them, book. the Toyota way or the Toyota production yeah, system. I think or it is Toyota the machine way. that changed the world. There's hundreds of books. Yeah. So what do they do? Yeah. Once it happens. So, so Hillary, I'm Toyota, you, Toyota, you, 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 you know, you're a new employee and you do something that connects with our purpose. You do something that, that lives our values or you, you bring some innovation, innovative idea. What do we do? How do we deal with that? Great, great question. So we have formal, we had formal, you know, obviously just to be hundred percent clear, I don't work for Toyota anymore. Um, I've been writing and speaking and consulting on topics around culture operations, CX, et cetera, um, for the last 10 years. Yeah. However, within Toyota, one of the, the myths is around how formal Toyota actually treats these activities. It's a combination of very formal, high, you know, high cost initiatives that are Kaizen oriented. And then there's very casual initiatives. So example, um, we were doing a, a big project in the Philippines back in 2010, that was to streamline the forecasting of demand and supply, um, the demand and supply process. So obviously you're managing automotive uh, dealerships which means your stock is very, very important. And every car that sits on the lot is a dollar not in your pocket. And so how they predict demand and supply was super critical. So we had this huge process. We had this year and a half long project with, I mean, on average, we were, our budget was about $100,000 a month. So we were spending a lot of money to try to cut costs. 
And we couldn't earn the trust of this one human, this one person that ran the whole invoicing process. We didn't know why she didn't trust us. She was hard to work with. She gave us problems. She showed up late, all these typical stories you hear about. And lo and behold, of course, this is in the Philippines, so um, bear in mind, bear that in mind. But lo and behold, uh, one day I went to her desk and to her work area to ask her a question. And she said to me, um, you know, I don't have time right now. I don't have time right now. And I was like, well, it won't take more than five minutes of your time. I just need to clarify something. I went over to the side of her desk. I looked down and her desk is so tight so tightly compacted back in the corner of a room surrounded by her team members that she actually had bruises on her knees. And I was like, what is this? Why, why is your desk so uncomfortable? And she said, it's always been this way. Don't say anything to my boss. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. And I said, no, 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 no. So within that day, we took it straight to her boss. We said, this is unacceptable. You have to create a workspace that's you know, easy to work in and comfortable. Yeah. And from that moment on, by giving her space and by solving that immediate tiny problem for her, we actually had her full support and buy-in from that moment on. So one of the things often that comes up in terms of humanizing culture and creating a culture of empathy and relationship and trust to build connection with your customers is understanding what small problems you're not actually solving for your employees. And so you're telling them, hey, think big picture, connect with our bigger strategy, solve these big problems for the betterment of our company. And they're like, I have these asinine problems that you don't give a crap about. Solve those first. So what's the point of this? You can have hairy, audacious, really big initiatives that solve big process problems and operational problems, but it must be combined with solving your employees' problems. So I always say there's a big myth in business right now that we're hindered by the idea of customer first because it really should be employee first. And Toyota right. knew that and a lot of companies lose that. Mm -hmm. And let's say we get that right. So we listen, we fix your chair, whatever the issue is. So we're really listening. Yep. But now it's time. So if you're the employee, Hillary, and I've done that, I fixed your chair. Now I need you to connect and be compassionate with the customer. How do I, you know, how do I get you yeah. to do that? Yeah, so um, there's six traits of human-centered companies, and one of them is living out customer empathy. A great example of that is USAA Bank. USAA Bank has members that are military in the military. So one of the things they do is they actually train their new employees by mating, making them eat military meals, like packaged. Sounds horrible. Yeah, exactly. What does that do? It makes you have compassion. Like, wow, the things that they do and sacrifice for our country. They also make them wear um, heavy weighted vests the way people in the army wear. Mm -hmm. And what does that do? It helps them literally put themselves in their shoes. So what we used to do at Toyota is we would actually train the employees to walk in the shoes of the customer in the dealership before they started selling. As someone in headquarters, in our training, we would often visit the dealerships because our key stakeholders was the dealerships. So a client I was working with that was in restaurant tech recently, you know, in tech, we're, we think we're the gods of the world. I'm not necessarily in tech, but I often solve tech problems that are dehumanizing. But we often think we're the tech, the, the, you know, god of the world, but we're actually the void of humanity, tech is. And so with this specific company, what we did, because they're in restaurant tech, you have restaurant owners that aren't tech savvy, that don't understand why I need to have 18 vendors for all these different product lines. 
And so they actually implemented a system where they trained their employees to spend a day with a restaurant owner to really understand their pains and, and points. So the, having empathy is not like this fluff idea. There's very practical operational things you can do to train your people to think like your customer. Mm, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, when I had the security guard company, we would, during our onboarding, we used a video from Chick-fil-A and they have this incredible video. Have you They're seen this brilliant one? brand? Right? I don't know have which you, one you're referring to, but oh, I use them a lot as I'm gonna, th this is a tearjerker. It's, a, it's oh. about two and a half minutes long. I'm going to, we'll post this with this episode. It's on YouTube and it's a day in the life of a customer. And really what this video shows is so it's got, so you know, great. It's got people serving customers and then it's got bubbles for the customer. And it would be like, you know, Sarah just came out of the hospital where her mother was diagnosed with cancer and she's buying a hamburger. Oh. And then, you know, uh, Melissa's husband just died two weeks ago. Uh, John just lost his job and doesn't know how he's going to put meal on the table. And it just got has these bubbles for the customers who are just coming up and they don't say anything but it was saying, we have no idea what our customers are going through. And it's the most powerful video. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not tearing up thinking about it, but I could. So <sighs> I need to stop thinking about it. It's a great video. and, and um, Fantastic. Yeah, and what I, I think, love about this example is I really want to, I really, really want everyone who's listening to, this to, to take this in. People are yearning for this type of connection. They didn't have it before COVID, then COVID hit, and now they want it even more. And so there's this, there's this myth that, oh, being human is not efficient or not productive. But the irony, and I really, really, because I'm an operations person, like that's my background, that's my expertise. I really, really want everyone to deeply understand. If you connect with your customer, that will speed up their process through your journey. That will get you faster to the bottom line that will get you more efficient bottom line because their length, their sales cycle and their length of time with you is more effective. And so the story that you share is so great because there's so much opportunity for this. And I really wanna push all of your listeners to lean into that. What can, it, because in the business world, we think emotions are, they're scary, right? What does it mean if I, if I push the envelope and evoke a little bit of emotion? but that's what your customers are asking for because they feel like they're just a number. They feel like they're just another, another, you know, one of your sales calls and that you don't actually, they don't actually matter to you. And everyone's looking to be seen, heard and feel like they matter right now. Right. And there's some specific yeah. things you can do to do that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those. Cause I think it's important, you know, it from the, maybe from the outside, it sounds like this can get messy because you know, if I'm the frontline employee on the phone and I, and I understand that you're frustrated, how do I go off script? How do I connect with you and say, geez, uh, Hillary, you know, you sound like you've had a rough day. You know, I'm sorry that you're frustrated. How, how do we encourage people to go off the, the typical script, which most of us have to connect with the customer? Maybe that's what you're, you said, there's a few levers maybe. To yeah. Play. So this can be standardized and it should be standardized. What do I mean by that? You have to create in your training systems the empowerment for your employees to go off script. A great example of this is Southwest Airline. A few years ago, there was a situation where a, a, a flight was delayed 
And the pilot found out that the reason the flight was delayed was because the person that was, I'm not, I'm sorry, not the reason the flight was delayed, but the, the flight was delayed and the, the person that was, they were waiting on was actually going to a funeral. And the pilot waited 12 minutes to take off. And anyone who knows the airline industry knows that every minute is a dollar. It's very easily a big math equation in terms of how much money was wasted. And he went viral. This story was on every cover of every news magazine because he was empowered and trained to make the right decision. Sometimes doing what's right, quote, doing what's right is not actually the right decision. And that's where standardization is risky. And so you have to train your people in what scenarios do you have the empowerment to take off script? And if you take off script, how much leeway do you have? And that just depends on what business you're in. But the more you can train your people to do that, absolutely. If you have, you know, calls, uh, like a call center in your business. And that brings me back to, because I'm thinking as you say this, because there's some big ranges, right? In this situation, you can only absolutely. do that. And I go back to the, our three questions, you know, because we try to create a range that would probably cover off most things. And the theme that, that I'm hearing is, again, this pilot had to have felt safe to make the decision. If he or she yes. doesn't feel safe, it's over. You know, if I feel like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this decision. It's the right thing for the customer, but I don't know how this is going to go. So if you create a framework and safety that you know how it's going to go, Southwest going to pat me on the back for this, then you've got the green light and, and to make some yes. spectacular And then they did. Southwest, Southwest actually came out right. and applauded the decision. I often say there's no AI in love. Mm. Because it's there's L-O-V-E. no a there's no because it's L O V E to love and to care is something you have to hire for and train for and then reinforce and reward that's your cycle hire train reinforce and reward caring communities what we often do in businesses is we reward efficiency you know that call center rep that gets on the off the phone the fastest or that sales rep that closes the most deals mm. but they might not actually be the core customer so hiring for that and training to be a caring organization is not easy and it's a huge responsibility on leadership versus just randomly hiring for a position and then wondering why that position is not often retained or the person leaves early because it's not creating a culture of caring by any means there's what actually some I was just yeah. to say, but once you have them, the last step is, I love what you said. Let's pat on the back. Let's celebrate love, you know? You have to celebrate, Ron. So many organizations right now I see, they're creating these machine-like efficient organizations, which is fantastic. I mean, freaking love operations, okay? However, your people are human beings. And right now with COVID, it's very complex. We're not going to go down that right. But there's a lot of, a lot of issues going on in the world. They have real struggles at home. They have confused boundaries, confused identity, social issues going rampant. And, and so if you don't acknowledge that and show them love for that, you're not going to get what you want out of them. So there's some very specific things that companies can do in terms of like when I often say how to humanize, because you can say, okay, great. I'm bought in. I want to be a human centric company. I see the light of this. People stay around longer. I create brand loyalty, et cetera. But how to humanize? You mentioned one, storytelling. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. It's emotional. 
But here's the science behind it. You have the limbic brain and you have the neocortex. The neocortex is the what and the limbic brain is the why. That's why Simon Sinek built Start With Why. The idea is it's not people, people, yes, need rationalization, but they first need the emotional connection, which is through the limbic brain. So they need that storytelling first to then figure out the what. And often what I see in people's sales processes is they're just selling products and service. They're just selling features and benefits. And if you continue to just sell features and benefits, especially in the tech space, you're going to run yourself into the ground because you're only going to compete on price and margin and you're going to have no differentiator. You need to sell an experience and humanizing your experience is the differentiator. So storytelling, using humor, designing for feelings. If someone's exciting during the onboarding process, make it exciting. Very often onboarding process is all like paperwork and, you know, logistics and, oh, let's get your final, you know, billing statements set up. And they make it this rudimentary process when someone's the most exciting. So design for feelings. There's many other things that we can talk about, but those are some of the top ones that I see the best practices. I love that. Uh, a few years back, I took the Harvard Extension School uh, Design Thinking course, which is exactly Fantastic. that. It's functionality meets feeling. So if function A to function B to function C, you know, d- you know, does it does it function properly? And then the other side is emotionally, how do you feel from going from step A to B? If you feel frustrated, you fail. If you're excited, if you have wow, you win, you know? I, I think you're spot on. And I think we don't think about that enough. We think of function, not feeling and, yes. um, and miss half the equation. And so look, I every also want to process. Oh, it, no, it's okay. Every process is a human experience. And it's really important. Even in your automations, even in your automations, there is a human behind that automation. There's someone reading that email. A great example of this is I just signed my second book deal. Okay. This publisher, I changed publishers slightly controversial for anyone who knows has written a book and this publisher has blown it out of the water. When I paid my invoice, I got an email from the accountant with a GIF of her waving. Scribe. Yes. Yes. All right. We'll just give them a shout out. Freaking love what they're doing. We've got but Max Tucker her. on the show actually coming up. Amazing. Fantastic. So Max Tucker, shout out. Um, I'm sorry, Tucker Max. That's sorry, Tucker, Tucker Max. Max. That's right. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, that's funny. You can edit that out. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm keeping just kidding. It. <laughs> I'm keeping it. Tucker Max, shout out to you. So back to the story. Um, mm-hmm. when your automations, when you're designing automations, be very particular about the language you use. One of the ca- tactics around how to humanize is using original language. We see all these canned responses, corporate jargon, use original language. This email that I got when I paid my inverse in full was about three sentences long. And it was like, hey, don't you hate when you're really excited to pay for something and you receive a canned response? We do too. We want you to know that there's a real human behind this. And then there's this accountant with glasses on and a pink background waving uh, like her fists in the air excited for you. And I integrated it into my keynote because I was like, this is such a great example of automations done well. I'm not anti-tech. However, if we always said at Toyota, you want to use the right tool at the right time at the right place. And you don't want to use a hammer when you need a screwdriver. And that's what's happening right now. Everyone's just implementing tech, not designing it for the person going through the experience. And so much of it is falling flat on its face. 
And then they wonder why they're not getting the outcomes they want. You automate stuff and you're just, it's really important to understand that automation is just an amplification of your operations. If you don't design the operations first, you're just expressing it and exponentially growing poor processes. Mm. Yeah, well said. No, I love that. And I knew the email as soon as you talked about it because I shared it with our team and said, this is Uh, pretty smart, right? Yeah. Well, and then what did I do? I actually stole... So here's an important thing. You can steal a concept, but you need to make it your own. So I actually stole the idea, the tactic, but I integrated it into my onboarding process instead of my, you know, invoicing because I loved it. It It's fantastic, especially in COVID where everyone's dealing with people digitally. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I also want to talk about, um, you talk about building a culture where people embrace all sides of ourselves to impact (sighs) the business. Tell us more. Yeah. So if you're a business owner out there, you're probably feeling exhausted. You go in day in, day out. You love what you do. You love your customers, but there's not a lot of meaning and joy in it. And right now we live in a world where culture and society have forced businesses to become more human because the world is becoming more human. We're traveling more. We're getting married later. We're spending money on experiences rather than things. Um, And these very formative parts of our culture are allowing people to show up more of themselves and they're demanding it out of businesses too. And so we live in a world now where as a business owner or as a business, you can show more sides of your business. You can show behind the scenes. You can have a say in social issues as a way to, to connect with the very people you serve. You can show up at Burning Man and put it on your business account and show it as a side of you as a way to connect with customers rather than something you need to hide or be ashamed of. We've never lived in a world like this before. And I am a huge advocate that people are yearning for this. And so as a business owner, have more fun by showing more sides of your company. It doesn't mean you have to have a say in everything, but shh. But figure out what you, what your human way is. What are the parts of yourself that you're not showing that if you did show would be more whole as a company and would actually connect with your customers or employees? And what, what, what about the, what about the other yeah. side of that, Hillary? We're, we're, you know, we've heard so many times where, where, you know, a leader is going to post themselves at a big party and it's showing a side uh, that yeah. you don't want to show. Well, listen, you got to provide some context, right? I think it applies for some people. I don't mind saying that I go to Burning Man because of the work that I do. Now, there's some context where it might not be appropriate. Like if you run a nursing home, hmm, that you know, you might want to think twice about that. So, of course, you want to put a lens to it. But if you think through, how does your company want to show up in the world? What do you want to stand for? Not just your values, but what do you want to stand for as a company? And what identity, what parts of your company's identity are you not showing? For example, there's this great tech company out of Austin, Texas that I work closely with that has a lot of moms that they rehire and coach to come back to work. But they don't really talk about it openly. It's a credible thing that they do. They do it because it's natural to them and it just happened that way. But they don't really talk about it. And they actually looked at it as a potential risk if they talked about it. And so we kind of leaned into this, that and said, what it, would it be like if you told those stories? What would it be like if you celebrated what you're doing for women coming back to work? Because about 50% of their 
um, staff was women coming back to work. And they created this whole program for them. And it actually not only created a huge, huge increase in their social proof and reputation online, but it also helped them attract more high quality candidates. So ironically, we're often trying to put a facade on to show up as a certain type of company, polished and put together and perfect. But it's those things that make us unique and flawed that attract the people that we're looking for. Yeah, and that's back to, you know, Francis Frey talks about the, the, the three trust wobbles and one of those being authenticity, right? Showing mm. your authentic self. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's great. Well, look, in, in closing, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to, um, that you wanted to discuss today? I'm going to put that back on you. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to discuss today? Um, you know, I guess... I'm curious from your perspective, you know, because you are well connected with automation. What what is the future of this? Is it just mm-hmm. to is it just to get your your employees uh, in, involved, keep things simple? What does the future look like? What do we need to be thinking about ten Love years it. out? Or thank you, thank you. That was You're that welcome. was a great question, Ron. So, quick story from Toyota. Many people don't know this, but if you go to Toyota's either manufacturing plants or dealerships and ask them for a tour, they will give you it. They will show you around. They will show you their products. They'll show you their processes. And the reason is they say openly, this is not what makes us special. What makes us special is mutual respect and how we treat people. That's our secret Mm. sauce. Interesting. What does that mean in today's world? Where tech and automation is going, especially because of COVID, everyone's talking about digital transformation. You, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it's the necessary evil right now. You have to make that transformation and shift to a more digital process and experience. When you make that shift, be very careful how you're treating people, not just your employees, but also your customers. Why? Is because very often what makes you special will get lost in that shift. I actually don't think technology is how people are going to compete in the next five to 10 years because technology is becoming homogenous. It's all looking the same. We started with this wide scope of a bunch of different types of feature sets and it's all merging into one faster than the human can even understand. You look at financial services, they're all using the same tech. Insurance, they're all using the same tech. Why would I go to Charles Charles Schwab versus Wells Fargo? It's going to be experience. It's not the tech. The tech is all looking the same. Now, I'm not talking about your anomaly techs out there. Put those aside. Those are always going to be your unicorns and those, you know, shapeshifters of the world. But I'm talking about the everyday commodity tech. And you're going to commoditize your business straight into the ground if you look at your differentiator being your tech. I believe there's a great quote from uh, Jack Ma from the 2018 World Forum, World Economic Forum. And he's being interviewed by someone saying, you know, what's the biggest problem you see in society? And he's talking about education. And he says, what we should be teaching our children is not tech, coding, programming, scripting, et cetera. Because imagine in 10 years when robots can do that better than we can. And he said, what we need to be teaching our children is human skills, things that make us unique to humans. I believe tech is elevating humans to work on more meaningful work. No one should be doing data entry for heaven's sakes. It's not human. What does human work mean? Creativity, original thinking, compassion, teamwork, 
collaboration, a loss, a dying skill, a dying skill. Uh, I mean, original thinking is a dying skill. Everyone just copies each other's shit. Mm-hmm. So these types of things, teamwork, I think I mentioned teamwork. These types of things, art, sports, are what make humans unique and able to create in the world. And that's the unique differentiator. The more you can teach your employees that, the more talented your employees will be in the future, the more ideas they will come up with for your customers and the stronger your business will become. I believe the future is in human-centric leadership and skills, not in tech. I love it. And with that, I'm doing a mic drop. That was beautiful. (laughs) How so? What did you relate to? That was great. I just think that that it is something we need to be thinking about. And that quote that you said makes it kind of more black and white. I don't think there's a debate anymore. It just becomes, no, of course, when it, when a computer can build a computer, you know, and you know, we hit that, what's that called? Um, uh, theory of, uh, what do they call that? Where a computer can make it computer theory, not relativity. Um, I can't remember. Anyways, they'll code everything. They'll solve all these problems. And so it's those human, um, you know, compassion, all the things that you talked about that I, I think you're spot on. I think you're, you're a, you're a futuristic. Is that what I call that? Is you're a, you're a futurepreneur? I, yeah, one of those things. <laughs> Listen, I'm, a, I'm an advocate for people and I'm an yeah. I'm observer of society. Having lived across mm-hmm. the world, speaking multiple languages, I see that our world is becoming more one. And right. the more we embrace the idea of our shared humanity and the more we design for connection, the stronger your business will become. It's just undiable. Anyone can be in business right now and you're constantly at threat. So the way you connect with your customers and retain them is by building trust because we are in a deep, deep crisis of trust where no one knows what's believable. And that's through design and emotional thinking and hiring, recruiting, and training on these concepts. That's great. Well, well, Hillary, look, thank you so much for your time. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. It's been great to get to know you better and talk to you more. Absolutely. So, yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Awesome. Well, if anyone wants to find out more about me, my, um, I am the most opinionated on Twitter at Hillary Corna. There's only one of me. Uh, I am the most personal on Instagram and I write the most on LinkedIn. Um, you can also visit my website where we have the human way manifesto that you can download and share with your team to understand these concepts in more detail. Beautiful. Well, thanks again. And thanks for uh, all the work that you do. Thank you, Ron. For more information about Hillary or anything else related to scaling culture, please visit the show description for detail. And if you're enjoying the scaling culture podcast, please subscribe and share with your network.